right, good morning, everyone. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, I'm having a good morning, maybe. You sound like, uh, should, should I give you a second chance at that? Okay, good morning, everyone. Yes, I like that. That was much better. Uh, listen, I don't know how you're doing today. You may be having a good morning. You may be having a bad morning. Either way is okay. Uh, we're gathered here not because we're having a great day or because we're having bad days. We're, we're gathered here because we want to hear, hear from the Word. We want to meet Jesus. We want to be with the body. We want to be worshipers of Jesus. So, so whether you're limping today or you have a skip in your step, we're just glad that you're here and our prayer for you is that you would meet and encounter Jesus. And, and not, not just any encounter with Jesus. We, we want you to experience the graciousness and the mercy and the love and the power and the majesty of Jesus. We want to meet him in his hugeness and in his kindness. Um, having said all that, uh, I know that as what we're about to jump into today in Acts chapter 15, we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, and as I was reading this passage, we're looking at it, I couldn't help but re be reminded of the fact that the church is very fractured today. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that, if you haven't picked up on it. If you get on Twitter or social media at all, or if you uh, read any blogs, anybody still read blogs? I don't know who reads blogs. But if you're online at all, you notice that the church seems very, very fractured. It, it, there seems to be this dangerous heart that's growing in the church that's divisive and partisan. Right? It's, it's very like... Very feisty, at least in the online world. The reality where we're at in the church, sometimes that impacts us, but it's not as feisty in the actual local church. But in the churches around the country, there seems to be a lot of fighting that's going on. And, and that gap in between the churches seems to be getting bigger. Um, there's sides that seem to be getting further and further apart. And, and they're happening over all sorts of issues. And if I were just to name a few of the issues, the fractures that are happening in the church, at least in the U.S. today, seem to be around things like social justice or critical race theory or sexual abuse cover-ups or Donald Trump or January 6th or gender identity or women in the ministry. And those are just a few of the things that are fracturing the church right now. And, and it seems like uh, the Internet every month is going to add more to that list of reasons for the church to be fractured. Have you all experienced that at all? Okay, good. I'm, I'm kind of not the only one. Maybe I need to change my Twitter feed. I'm not exactly sure. But, but what it seems like is there is this thing, this, this rancor that's happening. And many of these issues are very, very complicated. They, they require people to, in order, in order to get a solid answer, it requires people to have wisdom, to take some time to study and to give a nuanced answer. There are not simple answers to some of these questions. And the problem that's happening, it seems like, is that church leaders and, and social media influencers are waiting in before they take time to think about what they're saying, before they spend time in, in the Word and in prayer, seeking wisdom from God, before they have a chance to give a nuanced answer. They give a 120-syllable response, and it is causing things to be even more explosive and more divisive. And, and as I think about all that stuff... Um, I ask this question, how should the church be re responding to issues like that of our day? Like, should the church respond to everything? Well, I, I don't think the church should respond to everything, but there should be some things that the church is responding to with wisdom and with accuracy to what the Word says and giving detailed, nuanced answers to questions that are complicated. And I feel like it's lacking in our day, and it's causing a fracture in the church, at least in the U.S. And it may not be happening all over the world, 
but I do believe it's happening in the U.S. all over the place. And as I look at that, that reminds me exactly of what the church in Jerusalem is facing today as we look at Acts chapter 15. They are on the edge of a massive fracture that's about to happen. They, they have a, something brewing under the surface, and they don't even have social media. Like, it's brewing, and it's bubbling, and it's about to be, it could be, on all that, all that war. It actually reminds me of something that happened this past weekend. Uh, last week, I was out of town because I was going to my grandmother's funeral, and I had my two oldest sons with me. So we flew into Columbus, Ohio. Ohio, and our flight got delayed, which was awesome. Uh, but as it got delayed, a snowstorm moved in, a pretty good snowstorm. And I had a two-hour drive ahead of me in the snow. Now, you need to know something. Florida boys do not drive in the snow. I don't know if y'all, if you didn't know that, it's a news alert for you. Uh, I, I'm raised in Florida. I was born in Ohio, but I never drove in Ohio, okay? I was five when I left. It is not in my DNA to know how to drive in the snow. Uh, my dad was Arabic. I might be able to drive in the sand. Maybe I'm really good instinctively at driving in the sand, but snow is not the same thing as, as sand. So, I'm in town, I got a two hour drive ahead of me and it's snowing and so I asked the rental car guy who's from Ohio, how are the roads? They're great, they're fine, they're dandy, right? So I'm like, okay, so I load my kids up and things are great, fine and dandy inside of Columbus. And about 20 miles outside of Columbus, that's when it all turned to chaos. I mean, there was snow, semi-trucks were stopped on the side of the road, and I just kept going. Like, I, I, I was too afraid to pull off onto the side of the road because I wasn't sure I would get, be able to get back onto the road. And I'd go, I'm getting off of the next exit. And I'd get to the exit, and there's a car that's been spun out on the side. I'm like, not getting off there. And I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper into the snow. And, and I got to be honest, there were moments where all I would do is I would just get behind a semi-truck and let him blaze a trail through the snow. But every now and then, it would feel like my tire would hit a little bit of an ice or a snow patch. Anybody driven in snow? Do you know what I'm talking about? And it would yank me off to the right. You know what I'm talking about. You feel yourself... That's exactly what's about to happen to the early church. There is a storm brewing, and they're trying to drive to this destination of what God wants the church to be. And literally, there are things that are about to yank this church to one side of the road or to the other. They're going to end up in a ditch if they're not careful and cautious with the issue that is in front of them. So without any more illustration for it, let's jump into Acts chapter 15. We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 14. Here's what's been going on. Where we left off, Paul and Barnabas have been doing this cutting-edge ministry that no one has ever done before. They've gone to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish, the outside religious people who know nothing about God, and they're taking the good news to these Gentiles. And they're traveling from city to city, and they're getting run out of town. They're getting, people are trying to murder them, and they're, they're doing that all over the place. And when we finished off, they had just finished their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 14, verse 26. They're on their way back. Look at what happens here. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So they come back to Antioch and they tell them, listen, let me tell you all the things that happened. Like we went to Iconium and people got angry at us and they took 
Paul outside and they, they stoned him and they left, or that was in Lystra. But they ran us out of town in Iconium and they stoned Paul at Lystra. And then we went to Derby and tons of people got saved. Then we went back to every single city and strengthened every single one of these churches. In a matter of a few months, Paul and Barnabas had planted five churches in unreached cities that have never heard of the gospel, have no knowledge of the gospel, and they're showing back up for this short-term mission trip saying, we planted five local churches and they're solid. We set elders up. They're good to go. Like, like this is unbelievable. So the church is like, man, we should send more people on mission trips. Maybe that's not really what they were thinking, but that's, that's what kind of goes on. So they're celebrating and Paul and Barnabas are getting some rest. They're recovering. They're enjoying being back with the church, but it's only a matter of time before that storm that is brewing begins to hit Antioch. Chapter 15, verse 1, here's what happens. But some men came down from Judea, and this is, this is the center of Christianity. This is where it all started, where the apostles are, where Jesus was at. And they come down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers. And here's what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here they are. Here's Paul and Barnabas. They've been traveling all over the place. And here they are back home in Antioch, which is a mainly Gentile church. It's the first mainly Gentile church that ever existed. And some guys from Judea, from the big dog church in Jerusalem, come down to help disciple and teach these Gentile believers the Bible. And they show up and they have this message that they're teaching them through the Old Testament, which is all they had at that time. They're saying, listen, if you don't get circumcised, just like what Moses said, you can't be saved. Now, you need to know that this would have had some weight for the Gentiles. And here's why. The only part of the Bible the early church had was the Old Testament. They had Genesis through Malachi. That was it. They didn't have any of the Gospels. They didn't have any of Paul's letter to the epistles. They hadn't been written yet. All they had was the Old Testament. And they also only had the apostles who were in Jerusalem. And they were teaching them, saying, here's what Jesus taught us. Like, so they're spreading that message. And so here's these Gentiles. They know nothing about God. They know nothing about his word. They just know the good news and the gospel. And these people from the center of Christianity show up and they say, look, let me show you what the Bible says. God's people have always been circumcised. That's, that's what he told Abraham. That's what he told Moses. That's what all the prophets are saying over and over and over again. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Therefore, you must be circumcised. I'm going to be honest with you. That argument would carry a ton of weight. These Gentile believers who were new in the faith that knew nothing of the Old Testament, they're going to read those words in the Bible. And they say, it's right there. I, I see it. They're going to look at the tradition of the Jews and say, they know better than me. I mean, after all, they've been following God for thousands of years. I've got a month under my belt. This is going to carry a lot of weight. Paul and Barnabas are there, though. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Like, listen, this is... This is a good old-fashioned church fight that's happening here. Like, here these guys are. They show up to the church. They're teaching this. And Paul and Barnabas aren't quiet about it in the seats. They're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Time out. Time out. And, and they're not pulling these guys aside and saying, can I talk to you about this privately right now? They're doing it out loud, in public, in front of the entire church. Why? 
because they know there's more at stake than just circumcision. Now, I'm sure all the Gentile men were really glad that Paul and Barnabas spoke up at this moment because uh, that invitation saying, listen, if you need to get circumcised today, come on down. Like, that's a very nervous, that's an awkward church service. Like That's for real commitment for every single one of these men. Like This is a serious consequence. But Paul and Barnabas aren't just concerned about Gentile discomfort. There's a much bigger thing at stake, and Paul and Barnabas are willing to stand up and fight about it. Right? I'm not saying they were being jerks, but they weren't just rolling over and saying, well, you can just do whatever you want. They're saying, no, 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 no. There is a gospel, and there is a message, and you're messing with it, and we can't let you do this. So Paul and Barnabas resisted it and resisted it strongly. So much so that the church in Antioch says, you know what, we need to find out what the apostles say. So they sent Paul and Barnabas and several other representatives from the church to go back to Jerusalem and say, listen, we don't know what to do. This is coming up. Is this from you guys or not? That's, that's kind of the question. Here's what it says in verse 2. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So here's what they do. They go up to Jerusalem. Let me skip down to verse 4 says this, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And so all, the whole church is like, yes, we're glad to have Paul and Barnabas and this, all these people from Antioch. We want to hear what God's been doing. And here's what Paul and Barnabas did. They declared all that God had done with them. And as they're telling the church in Jerusalem this, hey, let me tell you about what happened when we traveled to Antioch and Iconium and to Lystra and to Durban. Let me tell you all these things that God has been doing. And here's what happens while they're doing this. Verse 5, but some of the believers, these are church members, these are high-standing church members who belong to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said this, it is necessary to circumcise them and, now they're adding more to it now, they don't seem to be circumcised, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now listen, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but this is a very big deal to the early church. Like, here's Paul and Barnabas saying, can, can you imagine this missionary mission trip report? Like, we're here, to have, have a missionary show up, and he's saying, listen, say it's the leathers. You know, we've been in Togo, Africa, and we just saw this church get planned. We led, saw 15 people saved, and they're showing you the awesome slides of the people, right? And then all of a sudden, someone raises their hand and goes, excuse me, and say it's just one of the deacons. Sorry, deacons, not trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to help people understand this. And one of the deacons is like, hey, hey, we, we have a concern here. Have you taught them and then fill in the blank? We think it's really important that you make sure that you teach these new believers blank, 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 and blank. And now all the other deacons are like, we agree. Hear, hear, aye, aye, or however we say that in Baptist circles, right? Like, hear, hear, rah, rah. Like, and so you've got this group of all these well-established, solid believers who are standing up in the middle of the mission report saying, hold the phone, did you teach them this? Now I'm kind of curious, what would you feel about that situation happening in this church? And I hope you've never seen that before, because if you have, you've seen some insanity. Um, I, don't think you've, I don't think that's ever happened here, but that's what's happening in this moment. And instead of having a massive church fight, I, I want you to see what the leadership at the church does. It's very wise. Like this could turn into an all-out war, because you've got all these Jews. I mean, this church is 99.999% Jewish. 
All they know is the law. All they know is that Gentiles are outsiders and they're glad they got saved, but they better get in line and be like us or they don't belong. That's this whole church. Meanwhile, a hundred miles away is another church in Antioch that is almost all Gentile. And they want to know, how, do we belong? Do we fit? Do we, we want to know how to obey and please God. Just tell us how to do this. This is a serious issue. And here's what these guys do. This leadership, they grab them together, and here's what they do. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. We just, I know it seems like, well, what just happened? Here's what happened. What I think happened is they stopped the meeting, said, hold on, time out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the leadership of the church together, and we're going to go discuss this matter. We're going to study the scriptures. We're going to talk with each other. We're going to pray, and we're going to come back to the church with the answer. Here's what they did not do. They did not take a church vote. They didn't go, hey, what do you guys think God wants? Is that offensive to you? <laughs> Let me tell you why they did not take a church vote. Don't be offended. It didn't matter what the church wanted. It, it didn't matter. They didn't take a poll in Jerusalem to say, hey, what would make Jesus more attractive to you? Requiring Gentiles to get circumcised or not requiring them to get circumcised? Because the question was not, what do you want? They didn't even say, when you see the discussion happening, what do we like? It wasn't a matter of what the leaders liked. You don't see the leaders voting over it. The question was not, what does my pastor want or my denomination want? There was one question they wanted to know the answer to. What does God say? That was it. They weren't going to let anything else derail it. They weren't going to let popular opinion. They weren't going to let big personalities dominate it. They didn't even ask what Paul and Silas, tell us what happened on your trip. They didn't do that. They said one thing. We're going to get together and we're going to discuss. And you're going to see that they study the word and they talk about what God has been doing. Let me flip to these next verses. So verse 17, they're together and it says this. After there had been much debate. So listen, it's not like... It's not calm. It's not quiet. There's a ton of debate that they're going through. This is, this is a difficult question because they know that the very essence of the gospel is at stake. Now, I want you to see what happens first. After this debate has been going on over and over and over again, Peter, loudmouth, brash Peter, the guy that walked on water and denied Jesus three times, the guy that, that has now repented of all that, and now he's this humble leader in the church, Peter's not spearheading the debate. Peter stands up after a lot of debate, after listening and praying and considering all the passages guys have been bringing forward. And Peter stands up and he says this. Um, verse, this is in the middle, beginning of verse 7. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Do y'all remember that story? It's several chapters ago. Peter's on a rooftop, right? And he gets this vision of this sheet coming down with all these animals. And the, it says, get up and eat. And he's like, God, I can't eat that. That stuff's filthy. I don't eat filthy. You got bacon on there and sausage and pork chops. Gross. I will never eat that. I'm a good Jewish boy. Three times, and God says the same thing to him every single time. What I've said is clean, you don't call unclean. And then what happened? Some guys came from a guy named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and said, we want to hear the message. 
And Peter went, and while he was still preaching the gospel to Cornelius, they got filled with the Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. He's like, let's baptize these dudes. That's what Paul was talking about. He says, hey, you guys remember what God did, what God revealed, that I had that vision, and then I went and spoke the gospel to the Gentiles. He picked me to do that. And, he, and what happened is the Spirit fell on them before they were circumcised, while they still ate pork and bacon. They didn't obey any laws. All they did was believe. What he says there, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. And look, look at this, this is huge. Having cleansed their heart by faith. This is the real issue that's being discussed here. The question is, how are you cleaned by God? And Peter is saying that it's by faith. That's what God did with the Gentiles. He cleaned them by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, look how he describes it. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples and neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Listen, what are we doing here, guys? God cleans us by faith, and now we're about to take this burden of the law, and we're going to dump it on these new believers, and none of us, our fathers couldn't obey it, our grandfathers couldn't handle it. Our great-grandfather, it's too much. None of us have been able to do this. What, what are we doing here? Are we going to put them back in slavery? Verse 11, but we believe, this is, this is the statement, we believe that we will be saved through the grace or the kindness of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Here's the message. Here's what Peter is fighting for. Here's what Paul and Barnabas are fighting for. That the way we're made right with God, the way we're saved, the way we're cleaned, the way we get God's smile is through the grace of God through Jesus' death on the cross. That's how we get it. Not by any type of performance, not by any obedience, not by any obedience to the law. One thing and one thing only. It's by grace through faith every single time. And listen, if they don't have this fight, you need to hear this. If they don't have this fight, do you know what church looks like today? Church today for you and me looks like this. You place your trust in Jesus and you work and you work and you work and you work and you work. And if you're exhausted, you better get up and work some more. That's what church looks like apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever felt that? You ever felt that moment where what church turned into was, it was no longer the grace and kindness and favor of God it was someone with a whip behind you, driving you, saying, don't you think he's worthy? Get to work. Don't you think Jesus died on the cross? Don't you think you owe him more than that? Get to work. And then it's worse. It's not, it might not be some man from the pulpit. It might be my own heart screaming it to me over and over and over and over again. You better earn this. You better earn this. Hey, listen, you better get to work. He's not pleased. He's not happy. It's not enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we literally scratch for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and we fall down from exhaustion, and we know nothing of grace. Nothing. Listen, 
the thing that they were fighting about right here is so that you and me in this room could taste and know and experience grace and mercy and kindness. And they were willing to fight over it. And it seems like a small thing to us now. It was a big deal to them then. I mean, it was, it was a huge issue. In verse 12, so all the assembly fell silent. So Peter says, let me tell you what God revealed in this vision. And then they fall silent, and Barnabas and Paul say, well, let me tell you what happened for us. That's verses 12. Paul and Barnabas tell everything they saw. They went to this church, and they told them about Jesus, and they got saved. They got the Spirit, no works. Went to this church, they got saved. They got the Spirit, no works. Went to this church, they just believed. That's all they did. And then works produced out of that faith, but the works did not cause the faith. Do you, do you see that right there? Like over and over and over again. So they, they tell them all the stories. Peter says, this is what God revealed. Paul and Barnabas say, this is what God did when we saw this. And then verse 13, James gets up. And when they, when they had finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's also Peter, his nickname, I guess they were buddies, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. He said, this is what God did. He went to the Gentiles. He made them his people. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. You know what he does? He quotes Amos. He says, let me, let me tell you what the Bible says. And in Amos, he quotes God saying he's going to take Gentiles and make them his people. Here's how they get to their conclusion. Let me, let me be really clear. They get to the conclusion, what is God revealed? What is God revealed? What is God revealed? Not just what works. Because let me tell you, the church in Jerusalem, would this work for the church in Jerusalem? Absolutely not. It, it, this is not going to be popular in their city. Their church is probably not going to like it. And they are going to lose hundreds, if not thousands of church members if they make this decision. How do you think Jews respond to them saying, you don't got to obey the law? Right? I mean, this is, this is costly for them. But they say, listen, this is what God revealed. This is what his word says. He's been saying this. This is what God's doing. We have to follow God. So then James makes this statement in verse 19. And here's what I'm driving to for us. Here's what I want us to see. I want you to see not just how they make the decision. I want you to see they, the heart that they have for all of the church. Verse 19 says, therefore, here's my judgment, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Don't trouble them. Don't burden them with law. Let them enjoy the freedom of Jesus. And he says this, but we should write to them. So we got a few things we need to teach them. We don't want to burden them with the law, but we should write to them, and look what they want them to abstain from. To abstain from things polluted by idols. Stop worshiping idols. Like that's a basic, right? Like we've got these Gentiles that don't add Jesus to all your idols. Just get rid of the idols and worship only God. Stay away from the idols. That's simple, right? Don't burden them down with the law, but free them from idolatry. And then they've got something else. And from sexual immorality. That's that Greek word porneo. It's a very broad word. For all forms of immorality, they're saying, listen, these Gentiles, don't, they don't know what it means, what God has said about purity and saving yourself from marriage. They don't know any of that stuff. I mean, their whole lives 
when they go to worship at the, at the pagan temples, this is graphic, but worshiping at pagan temples often involved cult prostitutes. That's, that was what it looked like for the Gentiles. They're saying, listen, you need to stay away from idols. You need to stay away from sexual immorality. Then they've got these other two that are thrown in there. It says this, and from what has been strangled and from blood. That's this weird thing. That's, that's food that has been um, sacrificed to these these things, they wouldn't drain the blood. They would strangle it to death and then give it to the gods with the blood that's in there. Sometimes they would drink the blood. Super gross, all right? They're saying, hey, can you guys stop that? It's kind of gross. It makes us sick to our stomach. We'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that. Why? Why do they care about those last two? Look at verse 21. It says this, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Here's his point. Listen, we want you to stay away from idols so you can worship God. We want you to stay away from sexual immorality so it doesn't contaminate you. We need to stop doing this stuff with the drinking the blood and eating this meat offered idols. Why? Because there's Jews in your city and in your church. And they're not going to be able to hang out with you if you keep doing this stuff. So, so here's the three things I think they're concerned about. Let me just let me re- reiterate this because I blazed a trail through it. The first thing they're concerned for this church is this. That they would be freed from the law and freed to enjoy the grace and freedom of Jesus. Listen, church, here's what this says to me. I don't know how many of you experienced this. Do you remember when you really first started knowing and loving Jesus? Did you ever have anyone come alongside you and start to disciple you and what they started pushing your way was a lot of rules and regulations? Have you ever experienced that? They start telling you, and maybe you haven't experienced this. I experienced this. I was told how to dress. I was told how to cut my hair. I was told how much I should shave. I I was told what my facial hair should look like, what my attire should look like, what music I should listen to, what what slogans I should allow on my T-shirt. They spent all this time shaping me and molding me and pressing me into this thing that wasn't the mold of Jesus. And, And church, here's my concern for you. I don't want you to be molded into anything that isn't the gracious and kind work of Jesus. So my biggest concern for you is not what movies you watch. I'm not saying everything goes. I'm saying I, that's not my biggest concern for you. Like I'm not saying you're saying, okay, if I'm going to disciple you, the biggest thing I'm concerned about is do you watch rated R movies? That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is not what music you listen to. I don't care what clothes you wear. I don't care what your haircut looks like. I don't care what your facial hair looks like. Do you want me to tell you why? Because Jesus is not mainly concerned about that. But he wants, what he wants for you, what he wants for me, is not for us to be wrapped up with more man-made laws. He wants us to, be, to experience the grace and the freedom and the kindness of Jesus. And I know some of you are saying, well, what about this? And what about this? And just listen, time out. Step one. Step one is taste and experience the grace and freedom of Jesus. So, so if you are being discipled into something else, run. Run. If, if you lead someone to the Lord, I want you to hear this. Mom and dad and friends of each other, people who have parents, don't you want this for your kids? Do you want your kids growing up to know all the rules of the church? Or do you want them to know the grace and kindness and mercy of Jesus? We should be discipling our kids. Primarily, number one, 
to enjoy and be released to the grace and freedom of Jesus, not the law. And we may not have Old Testament law, but man, we sure have church law. That's what I want. When I'm discipling someone, here's the first thing I do. I want to make sure they know the gospel because that's where I get the freedom. And I want to teach them to be able to read the word because that's how you know the gospel. Okay, so I teach you gospel and word, gospel and word, gospel and word, both of those things. Let me give you a few resources if you feel like you need discipling on the gospel. One book is called, excuse me, had trouble getting that one out there. One book is called Gospel-Centered Life. It's by Thune and Walker. I mean, I suggest taking your kids through that, taking your friends through that, going through that yourself over and over and over again to learn the gospel. And the other thing I teach people to do is I call it SOAP. It's a way to study the Bible. You need to be in the Word over and over and over again to make sure that these things are true when you see it in there. That's, that's the first thing. They want to free them up to enjoy the grace and freedom of Jesus Christ. Here's the second concern that they have for them. Um, It's not that they don't want them trouble with the law. They made this statement they should abstain from idols and from sexual immorality. Listen, they want to make sure they're not getting wrapped up in destructive sin. I just said you need to know the grace and freedom of Jesus. And at the same time, there are some sins we have to stay away from. This does not mean that everything goes. I mean, for James and for all the apostles that are saying, no, don't bog them down with the law. Yeah, don't go down idolatry. Don't don't get wrapped up in immorality. They're saying, there's definitely still a boundary that God has said, no, this is not okay. And here's what I want you to know. It's not just freedom to enjoy the grace of God. It's freedom to be able to say no to sin. The gospel allows you to be able to be free to say no to sin. And you need to hear this. Like while, we're, while we don't want to bonk you down with the law, we're not quiet about sin. Like if you're in a discipling relationship and you're trying to disciple someone to grow in their walk with God, there will be times that you are going to have conversations about sin. That may, and it's probably going to be uncomfortable. But we need to have those conversations graciously and lovingly and patiently and with clarity. And at the same time, I'm giving you a whole lot of adjectives. It's graciously and clearly and patiently and humbly. Here's why I say all those things. You need to do it patiently because it might not go well. They might get mad at you. No matter how nice you say it, they might get mad. And you need to do it patiently because you may need to wade back in in a week or two weeks to check in on that person or a day, depending on how how it went, like you need to do it patiently, knowing it may take more than one conversation for someone to steer out of that stuff. The other the reason I say patiently is because of that. The reason I say gently is because, listen, it's hard to hear about sin. You don't need to have someone stabbing you with it and saying, you're the dumbest person ever, stop it, right? It needs to be gently, like, listen, this, this is gonna kill you. This is gonna wreck your walk with God. He, He's clear in his word. You need to stop this. It needs to be gently and patiently. And the other word I said was humbly. And here's why I say humbly. The Bible says humbly because of this. You don't know what sin will come for you tomorrow. So so we come humbly saying, listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I may need you to do this for me tomorrow. But for today, I'm coming alongside you saying, man, this is sin. How can I help you fight it? 
I hope you see that. That's what, that's what they're doing here for these disciples. That's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to be burdened by the law. I want you to be free to enjoy the grace of Jesus. I don't want you to be trapped by sin. I want you to be free to enjoy the grace of Jesus. And then here's this final one. Remember I mentioned he said there's Jews in that area. Here's what I think the third one is. They want them to be free to enjoy the community of the church. Not just attending church. He wants them to be able to have deep relationship in the church. And the apostles know this. If I've got Jews and Gentiles in a church, and if the Gentiles are drinking blood, and they're eating meat that's been offered to idols, the Jews aren't going to be able to hang out with them in church anymore. So they're asking the Gentiles, I'm asking you to give some of this stuff up so you can have relationship, deep relationship, in this body. Can you picture that? I mean, I try to imagine what that looks like. I'm trying to imagine having a church potluck or a small group dinner. You're having a small group dinner, and you show up, and they've got water and Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew and goat blood. That's the beverages of choice for your small group dinner. Do you go back to that small group dinner? No, there's no way in God's green earth. They drink goat blood at this place. It's some kind of Satan small group. I'm not going to be a part of this. It's insane. Like, and that sounds obvious to us. I'm telling you, it wasn't that clear to them. And there's, here's what these guys are saying. Your relationship in the church matters greatly. We don't want you isolated from one another. We don't want you clumped together into just Gentiles and just Jews. That's not the church. Those are cliques. The church is people with different strengths and weaknesses, people with different backgrounds and upbringings, people with different experiences, all coming together despite those differences in love because of the work of Jesus. Here's their concern. Their concern is, listen, don't let them get wrapped up in sin. Don't get them, let them get wrapped up in, in, in law. And don't let them get divided in the church. We want them to experience the grace and freedom of Jesus that says no to the law, that says no to sin, and says yes to deep relationship in the church. So church, here's, here's my question for you. This is what I want for us. Listen, are you wrapped up in some type of law or legalism? Is there some man-made rule that is just dominating you and you don't get to enjoy the grace and freedom of Jesus? Can, can I just invite you? Would you just trust Jesus and only Jesus to make God smile at you and not your performance? Would you, would you just put it down? Whether it's your appearance or the way your house looks or how you talk, I don't know. There's a million different laws that we make for ourselves. Would you just put it down and trust in Jesus and only Jesus? Listen, are you wrapped in sin today? I mean, there's a sin. It's eating you for lunch. It's secret, it's dark, it's hidden, or maybe it's not secret, dark, and hidden. Maybe it's all out front for everyone to see, and everyone knows about it, including your family, because you're angry or cranky or whatever it is. If there's a sin that's destroying you, would you just ask Jesus to help free you from that? And finally, are you isolated? Do you have deep community in the church? Or do you just attend? Listen, I want to invite you, by the grace of Jesus, to wade into real, deep, biblical community with the other people sitting in this room. 
Because all of those things are intended to give you the grace of God. The grace of God gives you freedom from the law, it gives you freedom from sin, and it gives us deep relationship with one another. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, God, I pray you would make us a people that, that would really taste your grace. God, make us a people that don't get sucked down the path of legalism as all these issues pop up day after day after day. God, I pray we'd be a people that would hate sin, that would hate legalism, and that would love the body, that we would love the church and relationship. So God, will you do a work in us? If there's someone that's wrapped up today in, in some kind of rules, I, I pray you would give them freedom today. God, if they're wrapped up in sin, I pray you would give them freedom. God, if they're isolated or just having shallow community, God, I pray you would help us to be a people that would step deeper into community and relationship that looks like what the Bible says. God, I pray you'd make us those people. As you have your head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to walk you through a moment of response. Now's a moment for you to kind of do business with God. If there's something he pointed out to you, would you just respond to him? For some of you here, you've never experienced the grace of Jesus. And I want to remind you of the good news. The good news is this, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, while we were knowingly or unknowingly walking away from God, he was walking after us. And he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And he, the Bible says he brought him to be, back to life three days later. And he just offers us relationship and forgiveness. If we will just trust in what Jesus did on the cross. We repent of our sin and ask him to save us. The Bible says he'll save you and that you're right with God, not based on your performance, but on the performance of Jesus. Not on your good works, but on the good works of Jesus. Not in your strength or ability, but on the strength and ability of Jesus. And if you've been trying to trust in anything else, your goodness, your effort, your background, none of it will work. I want to encourage you to taste the grace of Jesus for the first time by trusting in Jesus and only Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, I just want you to know that at the end of our service, our pastors and decision council will be down front. If you need to speak with one of us, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, we're here to help you walk through any of this stuff, whether that's sin or legalism or you just want to get connected deeper in the church, we'd love to talk to you or anything else God's done in your heart. If he did something, don't, don't just ignore it. Do something about it today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd make us a people of grace that we would know and love and experience your grace and your kindness. God, protect us from legalism, protect us from sin. And God, would you give us deep relationship? I pray you would work, and I pray it all in Jesus' name.